substitution. Too many men on the field. Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block in the sideline. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores. Welcome to The Outsiders, powered by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. This is Podcast 67, and joining us in a couple moments is Edmonton Eskimo great, Brian Kelly. We'll get to that in a moment, but Robin, you're joining us. Here we are. We're ready to go. A lot of chit-chat before we start this podcast today. I'm pumped about it. You? Well, absolutely. You know, I've talked about this before, Bryn, and we'll we'll jump on with Brian in a second. I used to sit in the stands at Empire Stadium and later at BC Place and watch Brian Kelly and the Edmonton Eskimos come out and beat the BC Lions for fun, it seemed like then. And uh, who are these guys? And on top of who are these guys, we end up sending them Tom Wilkinson and Larry Highbaugh and a bunch of Hall of Fame guys So. Yeah, I always saw Brian Kelly as a youngster uh, uh, in the opposing colors, but I always thought, hell of a player. And first time I've had it, we'll have a, had a chance to talk to him. Canadian Football Hall of Famer. TSN did a sports poll, and he came in in the CFL's top 50 players at number 20. And he joins us on our podcast today. Hey, Brian, how you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Well, no, it, no it, it's our it's our privilege, our absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today because, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time at Commonwealth Stadium and Clark Stadium watching the football team play, and you and Warren Moon probably got me out of my chair more than once or twice through your career. And Now, before that, Robin, I'm going to let you ask the first question. Before we get started on football career and all that kind of stuff, the first thing Robin said to me this morning when we were just chatting before we came on, he says, there's a question I got to ask him. So Robin, I'll let you ask it. Yeah, Brian, uh, by the time I got to Edmonton in 89, you were finished as a, as a player with the Eskimos. A lot of water under the bridge since then. Let, we'll get to the football, but what are you doing now? Well, I, uh, I live in Minneapolis and I have for 20 years. And I have been in the car business pretty much ever since I left football. I work at a very large Honda dealership and manage the leases. And, and uh, I have the best job in the building. And so that's what I do. That's, what, that's my work life. That's where I come to work. So, we're, Sorry, Robin. Weren't you out at Lakeview for a while here in Edmonton? Yeah, that's how I got with that. Uh, uh, the Healy family has uh, been a long time uh, Edmonton auto family, um, the brothers and the dad and stuff. That's how I learned the car business. So how, uh, how, how much of the Edmonton time do you remember? Like really uh, like you had nothing but wonderful memories here, but what do you remember the most? Is there one or two things that really stand out for you? Well, I mean, I, I'm certainly connected to Edmonton. Um, we have four children. Three of them live in Edmonton. Um, we get there quite well. 
except for the last year and a half. Uh, we get there uh, regularly. I'm very uh, much connected to Edmonton, even though I happen to live in uh, Minneapolis. And actually, <laughs> being a secret, not a secret, uh, we're actually moving back there in seven weeks. Really? We have, yeah, we have, uh, as I mentioned, four children, three live in Edmonton, one lives in Calgary. And we've been here 20 years, and the fact is it's been long enough. And while I really like Minneapolis, though right now and over the last year, it's certainly, you know, has had more than its share of difficulties. But it's time to get back, be close to the grandchildren and the children. And so um, September 1st, we are uh, got our stuff ready, and, and we're going to be there. So do you know where you, have you got a place? Uh, are you all ready to go? Well, if you know any, you don't know me, but if you, if, if I'm nothing, I'm prepared. Uh, for every, yes, of course I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. If nothing else, I'm always prepared. <laughs> so, yes. Are you, well, the, sorry, Robin, are you the kind of guy that's going to be showing up at football games frequently or do you just kind of, that was that was me then. Uh, I'd still like to support the the guys a little bit now, but how are you going to view that with Commonwealth Stadium when you return? You know, I, I have pretty much um, been so far under the radar for so many years. Um, and people have always wondered, I mean, not just, a lot of people wonder where the heck I've ever been. Um, and But I'm just a private person, which, but I'm really looking forward to, and, and I've been private for a long, long time. And, but the Eskimos and the organization and through a lot of different things have been, and the city of Edmonton have always been so kind to me and my family that I've, um, I was talking to the Eskimo alumni, the CFL uh, alumni association. I figure I've got a good 10 years. I have a lot of energy. Um, I believe I'm capable of assisting and trying to help others. So I am never one to give advice or opinions, especially when it comes to when others are playing a sport. But no, I look forward to going to the games with my family, my grandchildren, um, you know, teaching them all about Canadian football. So no, I'm really looking forward to being an active fan and watching the, the team. Brian, is there any chance, and I don't know if you've had the discussion with anybody or not, is there any chance you'll get involved beyond sitting in the stands and cheering for the team? No, there's no chance. <laughs> I, uh, I, my, uh, I'm 65. I have a 10 year plan I've got in place looking for, you know, hopefully 10 years of things that I want to do. And, you know, and, uh, I want to teach my grandchildren how to play the game uh, if they'd like to. Um, I want to go with them to the games and watch the games and um, cheer on the, S the Edmonton Elks. And as I say, the, the organization over all these years and whenever I go back and, and the city has always been so kind to myself and my family. And we so appreciate that and have appreciated it and have commented on it so many times at family gatherings, just how kind everybody has always been to us. So I just want to be one of them and cheer on the team. 
So when you look back at your career, you were uh, you were very lucky in a lot of ways. One, you brought unbelievable skill to the table, but you had this guy wearing jersey number one, and you guys just seemed to have this energy force field about about you both that you were unstoppable. Warren was a special player, and it must have been so much fun to play with him. It was, and you know that, but but I was lucky. When I got there, I first, you know, every quarterback I played with was a Hall of Fame quarterback from Tom Wilkinson to Warren to uh, Matt Dunnigan and Damon Allen. And so their skill level, though different in each one, was extremely high. And um, I, I was just lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Um, but they all had... Um, their skills were, were very, very well honed. And, and Warren obviously was the, uh, the top. I mean, his, his skill set, his ability to throw the ball to every corner of that field was, was pretty much unmatched. And, um, and obviously it shows and he ended up in the NFL hall of fame. So he was a pretty good player, say the least. Yeah. Brian, did, did you keep in touch with the guys here or, did that end a little bit or fade a little bit once you left Edmonton and went, went down to the States? How, how many connections are there uh, still exist with you in the football club? Uh, right now I'd say an awful lot. And, and it's an interesting thing being, uh, you know, I guess I'm an Edmonton Eskimo. I have not ever played and And I, I think it's great they changed the name and that's the right thing to do. And, and those players have a, a new chance to start over and maybe get the, the shadow of all those Eskimo Grey Cup teams off their backs and they can start their own history. But I have always been an Eskimo. And, um, the, and, and whether I had spoken to people in 10 years or saw them 10 minutes ago, there, there is a bond like no other that I've, experienced in sport and business um, that I can pick the phone up or they can pick the phone up. And it's like, you know, that saying goes, it's like you haven't missed them. uh, You haven't missed a beat and you just pick up. And, you know, there's that old saying, um, once an Eskimo, always an Eskimo that has been on the locker room and it's been through the sort of the creed of that, that organization. And it truly is true. So um, I have certain friends that I talk to a lot I have certain ones that I haven't, but I know, and particularly recently, they've all been so helpful in every, uh, in a lot of ways. So it's just a great, and I'm really fortunate and thankful that I'm part of that group because it's it's an exclusive group, <laughs> and but once you're in, you're in. The the other thing too, and I've over the weekend had a chance to talk to a couple of friends of mine who who had to defend you. And said, nobody ran a pattern better than Brian Kelly. Now, you just talked about all the quarterbacks you've worked with. Did you have to change your style at all? When you, uh, if Wilkie was throwing you the ball, it wasn't coming in at the same speed. And I can say that because I know Wilkie. It wasn't coming in at the same speed as Warren's passes were. And Damon Allen also was a, a great scrambler and a runner. Did you have to change your style at all to kind of work with those guys? Or did they basically just kind of meld with you? No, I didn't change anything. Um, I, you know, the, the most important thing was having an offensive line that could block long enough to let me do stuff. 
to get open. And, um, that was, that's, was the most important part in which we had. So, you know, we, it was, I just would find a way to get open. So, so who found you uh, down in the U S I know Frankie Morse was so instrumental here in Canada, but who was the guy that found you in the U S do you remember? Well, I I suppose it, I don't really know in particular, but I I assume it was Hugh Campbell because Hugh Campbell and I both went to Washington state university and, you know, Hugh was, and to this day is still, you know, interested, involved in Washington State University. And, and he was a receiver there. And I came along, as I tell him, many, many years later. And I tried to, I, I chased all of his records as a receiver uh, in college, uh, never caught any of them. And um, so I assume it was him just because he was involved with the university, his, uh, you know, I just, I just assume I'm, it must have been him. I don't really know anything to the contrary, so I assume it was him. And and I do know this though, he he was more interested in my running mate, a guy named Mike Levenseller, who we were receivers in college. We ended up playing in Edmonton, and he played in Calgary. And he's one of my closest friends to this day. I know underneath it all, he was really interested in Mike, because <laughs> Mike was the star in those days in college. <laughs> Ryan, one question I've always had, and I'm sure you've you've answered it more than once, but I've I've never heard why. When you walked away from the game in '87, you'd had one of your best years. You were still relatively young. Um, what made you? What led you to that decision? Um, you know, when I was a kid growing up my dad used to take me used to go to the Dodgers games and watch the Dodgers play the Yankees and Mickey Mantle. And I have this great picture of me and Mickey Mantle. I'm about like nine years old and uh, it was at the world series in Los Angeles. And um, my, as Mickey Mantle aged, you know, he limped around and was really had a difficult time. And my dad used to always say, not knowing how my life would ever end or go that, you know, always, don't get like that. If you ever do anything like that, always leave before you, you know, you can't do it anymore. Or if you're going to get up and give a speech, always stop five minutes before they want you to stop. <laughs> so it was a combination of that. And then I had this goofy idea that I wanted to, and I didn't know what, but I wanted to be active and healthy when I got old. Now in those days when I was 30, old to me was 50. <laughs> so I was thinking, my God, you know, I want to be able to do whatever I want to do at 50 and not be like to have bad legs or, or whatever. And not that I'd had them, but I just kind of had this idea that somehow when I got old, and let's just say the, the marker was 50 years old, <laughs> which I laugh at today, but um, I wanted to be healthy. And so, and, and it was just a just a combination of things. We'd won the great cup that year. I mean, Hey, we, I played nine years. We won it five. It's a little, I mean, how much better is it going to get? Chances are not. And so I just decided that was a good time to leave. I'm taking a look at all your records and I can embarrass you by reading them all off. Like most receptions, receiving yards, all that kind of stuff. But is there one that really sticks out for you that you think to yourself, you know what? I never saw myself getting that one. Or uh, the, the one stat that I love is the fact that 
Almost every reception of yours was over 20 yards, and that's pretty pretty impressive. A lot of guys in the CFL are are, uh, are yards after catch, that kind of thing. But but you were really actually more of a deep threat than I think a lot of people will give you credit for. But I don't know. Is there one that sticks out for you? Well, first off, I was a really lousy runner with the football. <laughs> I did not like – I wasn't any good at it. I, I never really practiced it. I I don't, I, you know, the way they run with the ball now, I was nowhere close to that. Um, I, I guess if there's one record that I look back at, I ended up retiring with 97 touchdowns and I didn't care at the time and I don't care today, but I always thought, you know, if I just got three more <laughs> and I mean, I never even thought about it. It never crossed my mind or anything. I just thought, and I thought that's probably a good thing that it doesn't matter that it was more about the big picture that you wanted to create for yourself, not some number in some book um, because it doesn't matter. But I always look back as that's as somewhat an ironic number <laughs> because it was close, but again, it wouldn't, make, it wouldn't have made any difference in any way, shape or form anywhere, but I don't know. Maybe that would be the one. Brian, this might be a, difficult question because some guys don't like talking about themselves but you weren't the biggest guy you weren't the fastest guy but the record books don't lie what made you the player that you were uh what did you do that led to the kind of success you had well well thank you for your the way you phrased the question um First off, I um, I worked a lot, uh, I but I did it in an unorthodox way. I would, uh, when I was in college, for instance, I, I mean, I had some good college coaches, but I was never really one that needed a coach or really even wanted a coach. Um, for instance, when I was in college and I'd go home to Los Angeles in the um, between, uh, you know, freshman and sophomore and junior and senior years. At that time, the, the NFL didn't have all these structured workouts and stuff. So at that time, players would get together and work out on their own. They'd go to like Long Beach State. And I'd had, um, oh, I knew people from high school that I went to high school with it and went gone on to the NFL. And so I essentially was just a kid that hung around others that were really good. And I learned a lot from them. I studied them. Um, but particularly in the summers, I would, um, we'd, they'd have workouts, I don't know, a couple times a week, three times a week, probably at Long Beach State. And these were like the NFL stars of that day. And I would study them from the guys who were really fast to the guys that had fantastic moves. I started a book that a binder that I just made notes in. And I, um, I was, I tried to be creative. I be, be, Whenever a season would start, I would always go into training camp saying, okay, if the, the season started today, I could play a game. I didn't really need training camp to, for any reason. Um, but before training, but what I would do is I would always grab a quarterback. Like, you know, in Seattle, I'd grab Warren or whatever, whoever I was with. I'd grab anyone that would throw me the ball and work out prior to any training camp ever opening. But before I would even allow myself to catch a ball, I would always take like three weeks every day and just work on my pass routes by myself. I didn't want a quarterback to distract me. I would take three weeks 
and I just go to the high school field or the college field or whatever. And I would run pattern after pattern endlessly. I knew how many steps I had to take to get to every position. And so then by the time the quarterback was introduced, I was ready to go. And then by the time the season started, we were both ready to go. So I just kind of worked a lot while other kids were maybe in the weight room. I never was really went there, but I just tried to work on my skills as a receiver. I guess that would be my answer. Five in a row for the Edmonton Eskimos under Hugh Campbell. You talked about Huey and how much uh, he kind of set the bar for you at, at, at the college level. But as a coach, Hugh just seemed to have a great way of motivating people. Did, did you not agree with that? Like, it just seemed to be able to find a way to get the most out of his talent. What a, what a, what a great guy, huh? Yeah, you know, he was um, – and when I went to the Eskimos, it was nice because I, I didn't – I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a receiver coach and they didn't have one, which was, I didn't, I didn't want one. And I just worked with the quarterbacks and we figured it out. But the one thing that I, I asked him once, and I only asked him really one coaching player question ever. And it was like after my first year or so, and in the first, it had gone, it had been a pretty good year. And I asked him, I said, what can I do to get better? what would you tell me to do to get better? And we were just standing on the field and I didn't really know him that well at the time. I mean, I was just like my second year or something. And, um, and I remember this and he told me and, I, and it's gone over to every aspect of my life. He says, just be consistent. And so whether it was in your work ethic, whether it was your performance on the field, whether it was after football and, and work, just be consistent. And I have, remembered that phrase all my life. That's the only coaching point he ever gave me. He never told me how to run a route. He never told me how to catch a pass. He never told me anything about the position. And, and he was great at it. That was the only thing he ever told me. Wow. You know, it's funny. The, when I watched you as a fan before I even got into the journalism business, I thought, I, I in my mind, I, I kind of thought it was instinct. It makes it sound like you worked on everything. Like you said, you know, how many steps it took to get here or get there. I always just watched this guy with the Eskimos again as a visiting fan. I'm thinking, okay, the Lions have this tall, wonderful receiver named Mervin Fernandez or a burner like a guy like Tyron Gray. And there were so many great receivers in the league. Here's this number 70. He just always manages to get his hands on the ball and be in the right place. Is that the work you're talking about? Or was there an instinct component to that, Brian, where you just had a feel for what you needed to do? No, no, it was all work. I mean, I knew when I went out, when I split out of the position, I knew where I was going to be. I knew how many steps I was going in one direction. I could, I maneuvered the, before the snap of the ball, I, by my split, I'd get the defender where I wanted him to be. It was by it was just like at the beginning of the podcast, you asked me if I was had things planned. Well, before the ball was snapped, I knew every nothing was by chance. Nothing was by chance. I knew I was gonna go this many steps this way, this many steps that way. I knew what he would do and where I would go. Uh, it was very, very never never improvised. It was very well planned. It was very planned. 
Brian, you talked about not wanting to be uh, leaving before you were broken down, leaving before you were used up. Um, When Bryn and I were talking this morning before you came on, he told me something that I didn't know. Are you involved in running triathlons now? I mean, uh, you're not a young man uh, anymore. And uh, like Bryn and I were in our 60s. Uh, are you running triathlons? Did I hear that right? And now, now, now what I'm going to tell you now, you just better really hang on. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have done um, 17 Ironman triathlons, which are the one oh. where you like swim, swim two and a half miles and you ride your bike 112 and then you run a marathon. In October, I'm going to do the Ironman World Championships in Kona, which is the one you see on TV. Uh Um, I train, I don't know, 15, 18 hours a week um, on my bike all the time. I run. It's a hobby of mine, I guess. But no, I have done it for years, and I can plan to continue doing it. So I swim, I run. And I bike an awful lot. Okay, so that leads us to so. the next question: Why? <laughs> like, wh- was there one thing that kind of? Hey, I want to do this. Like, there must have been something that spurred that on. No, I just woke up one day in Edmonton a long time ago, and I remember thinking, "Okay, I want to run a marathon," and not not for any re- particular reason. And so then I started running marathons, and I probably ran, I don't know, maybe maybe thirty of them. 30, I, one year I ran nine, like in the summer, which was really stupid. Um, but then I slipped, and then I slipped on, I got into triathlons, which, um, you know, it's a swim, bike, run component. And I found that was really easier on my body as opposed to just the constant pounding of running. And then I just like it. I mean, you know, my wife, I don't know what she thinks. I mean, I, I get up, today I was up at, I think I got up at like, 4.30, I was out the door on my bike at 5.30 for a couple hours. And yeah, I mean, it, and I never have to make myself, I never have to think I don't want to get up. I just have found something that I just keep going. I enjoy it. There's never, um, I'm not the best at it. This isn't like football, a good, comp- football, it was relatively easy for me. It didn't come that difficult. Ironman triathlons, this is the bear. (laughs) I got to work. So that's what I do in my spare time. Brian, which component is most difficult for you? Well, the run, because it runs at the end and you're tired. You've been out there for, I mean, the swim takes usually like an hour and a half. Um, The bike is usually six to I mean, depending on the course, like a fast course, like maybe five and a half hours, but normally six to, you know, six and a half hours on the bike. And then you get off the bike and you got to run 26. So the run is usually the, obviously it's at the end of a, you've been, I mean, you haven't stopped. It's not like you stop and rest or, you know, have a cup of coffee or whatever. You just keep going. So the, the run is, and even though individually the running is probably my best, you put it the three together and it's at the end of a long day. And yeah, it's always hard coming back to Edmonton. You can add snowshoeing to that. So, uh, Oh yeah. 
you know what? Coming back to Edmonton, I'm going to be living literally about a quarter mile away from. They're opening. They're building that World Triathlon Center up in Coronation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to be living like. Yeah, I'm going to be living like 200 yards from there. What a coincidence! I know it's going to be so nice. <laughs> that 50 meter pool they've got there. Nice. nice. Yes. So. Hey, and and just speaking of triathlons too, we, and and we'll talk about Michael Solds in a minute because uh, we need to, but. Uh, <laughs> But so have you been, I, I liked what you've been doing in terms of helping uh, take this skill set that you've had with triathlon and generating some funds, that kind of thing. When did you start doing that? Is that something new or something fresh? No, something new. I mean, and, and to be really frank, I, I mean, I've done so many races over so many years and whether it's, you know, people raising money for leukemia or whatever. And um, I, I had met Michael you know, like about well, 2000, about four years ago, but, but, and, and I knew his challenges and, and, and we'd become friends and stuff, but I was, I happened to be like a month ago doing a half Ironman in Des Moines, Iowa. And it was, a uh, I ran by this lady on the run part. So it was like a 13 mile run. So I ran by her and she had on this, her number, it said top fundraiser. And I, and I, I stopped or ran with her and I said, well, what does that mean? She says, well, I've raised the most money for, it was colitis or something like that. And then I had like six or seven miles to go. And this is when I do all my thinking. This is why I'll never need a shrink or anything because I'm on the bike endlessly. And I think I run endlessly. And I think I come up with all my ideas and um, I thought, well, you know, I bet you maybe I could do something for Michael for this because People raise tons of money in this arena. I'm doing, I'm at 65 doing the Ironman World Championship. So that's got to have some value, story at least. And Michael's story was compelling. And so, but no, it was the first time. And I had, and, and to be really, I had never been moved before this period to do anything like that. I just, you know, I understand people have cancer. I've known friends with cancer. They die. Everybody does. But for whatever reason, I had never been moved to really dive in. And I was with this instance. So, Brian, what about Michael's story? Uh, aside from the fact he's a, you know, he's an alumni of the Eskimos, as, as are you, you find uh, most compelling. What part of that really grabs you? Well, you know, we, we, you know, he came two years after I was, he's 10 years younger or was 10 years younger. He's like 54 and I'm 65 and I knew who he was, but we'd never met. I mean, I knew he was an Eskimo. I knew he played with Montreal, but I went to, as I mentioned, I went to Washington state university and Washington state university has an alumni. His name's Steve Gleason played with the new Orleans saints. Uh, and he's an AIDS, uh, not AIDS. Um, he has ALS. And, but a high profile. So if you're a Washington State Cougar, which I am, you, I think your awareness is probably a bit higher just due to social media and everything. So I had heard that Michael had ALS maybe five or six years ago when he was in Montreal. And then I, I did an Ironman in Mont-Tremblant in 2018. And so I reached out to him like a year or two before and and we just started becoming friends on Facebook because he could communicate with his eyes on these computers. If you've ever seen 
how they do it. He couldn't move anything, but he could communicate. So I could email him or text him and he would get back to me. And um, so we became friends and developed a relationship that way. And then I, when I went to Quebec to do that Ironman, I set it up because I wanted to stop by and visit him. And just more so that, and like I mentioned, once an Eskimo, always an Eskimo. He was an Eskimo, and I knew he was obviously in, in difficult times. And I was an Eskimo, and I just was going to stop by as a friend and visit. And my wife was with me. And, and you know, but and how I guess really affected me. So if you can imagine on a Sunday, I'm out doing this race for 140 miles, okay? That's how long I go on that day. And then we had about a couple hour drive down to Montreal to see Michael. And in that particular race, I like was cramping a bit. And so I'm bitching to my wife about how I'm like cramped up yesterday in the run, you know, after riding my bike 112 miles. You know, I should cramp up for God's sake. But so then we go and we visit Michael and it was the first time I'd met him and his mother was there taking care of her, uh, Jane. And I mean, talk about a humbling experience. I come in the door having just completed this race and have trained for it for months. And then Michael is there and, and the visual was stunning. And it almost took my breath away. Like I am, and, and Michael just, you know, couldn't do anything. We had a great visit for a couple hours with Michael and his mom and, and um, it was humbling, to say the least. And it was just, I mean, I felt bad. I felt bad because I felt bad for Michael. I felt bad that um, it was just, it's just like humbling. I, I don't know if humbling is the right word, but it just made me feel bad because why could I do something like this? And Michael can't even, you know, brush his teeth um, or do anything. And so we just you know, our friendship continued over the years. And then I thought I'd try to raise a bunch of money for him with this um, Ironman World Championships. And it started off great, and, but Michael passed away last week. So that was kind of the end of the story. Yeah, it was, uh, it was tough news, but man, I uh, just, uh, you're right. It, we'll have nothing but great stories and great memories of Michael. And it's, uh, it unfortunately ended the way it did, but uh Thank you for taking the time to think about him. Certainly, I'm sure that uh, most people who'd be tuning us in today would say exactly the same thing. Uh, Robin, do you have anything else? Because we're just about to wrap things up here. But I, uh, you don't do a lot of these, Brian, and I appreciate you doing uh, this with us today because it's uh, the thing that I like about it is the fact that we found out something new, that you're coming back to Edmonton, and I, and I love that. I think that that's uh, great, great news. But can't thank you enough for coming on with us today. It's been my pleasure. And uh, if there's anything I can ever do to help you guys in any way, or oh, I'll be around oh, oh, come listen, September. We will see you in the alumni suite somewhere. It's great to say that we're talking about going back to Commonwealth Stadium. That's great. How much have you followed the league before we let you go? Have you, were you still able to kind of keep not, not much very much? Yeah, no. No, I follow. I follow everything. Great. I'm still with it. <laughs> I follow everything. <laughs> Follow everything. Well, so. excellent. Uh, thanks very much for your time today. Can't, uh, can't thank you enough. This has been great. It's my pleasure. You guys have a great day. Thank you, Ryan.
Hey, The Outsiders is powered by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. When I told Brent McIntosh that we had Brian Kelly on today's episode, he was jacked right up about it. And that's no surprise because he's been watching football at Commonwealth Stadium for an awful long time. Not only as a fan and a season ticket holder, but he worked on the football broadcast with Brian Hall for years on CJCA and at 630 Ched. And then he got busy with this real estate thing. So uh, he was quite excited to hear that we had uh, Brian on the podcast today. One of the things we've got to tell you about is that the real estate market in Edmonton is cooling. And that's no big surprise because it's in the summer months and that's to be expected. But now's a good time. If you're thinking of selling your home or maybe even purchasing a new home, give Brent and his team a call. They'd love to hear from you at 780-464-0075 or check them out online at macintoshgroup.ca. Get the process going with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation, no deadline for the offer, but don't let the market pass you by. They can get back to you pretty quick right now. As I said, things are slowing down a little bit through July and August, but you can get everything rolling. Both buyers and sellers can contact the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. You can get a hold of them directly. Once again, 780-464-0075 or find them at macintoshgroup.ca. Well, Robin, that was pretty special today because Brian Kelly doesn't do a lot of interviews. And then for it to have him drop that little uh, tidbit in the middle that he's returning to Edmonton full-time to live, that was really nice. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, we were talking, Brent. I don't know how many of these kind of things Brian does. Uh, I suspect uh, zero or very few because if you look up Brian Kelly out there, and I know how to look people up, uh, basically uh, on the internet, you're finding his statistics football-wise. If you know where he went to school, you'll find his name uh, on the teams there down in Washington. But, uh, you know, Brian Kelly, a long time removed from Edmonton, now 20 years in Minneapolis, I think he said, coming back to Edmonton, very private guy, his career speaks for itself. It's kind of cool to get uh, a big news item like that uh, on the podcast because sometimes you and I talk to each other and go, gee, did that really have to happen a few hours after we taped? Yeah, that uh, that's happened to us frequently, so it was kind of nice. This is the first I've heard of that, so I was very pleased. And also you could see this is where we have the privilege of being able to see him where our, our listeners do not. And when he said that to us, you could kind of see him – he kind of had that look on his face like, well, I guess I'm going to just let this cat out of the bag, so to speak. He had that that uh, impish grin on his face as he said it. I thought it was fantastic stuff. The other thing that I, I took out of this, and it's always great to talk about those those great football clubs that he was involved with. We, The way he dealt with the Eskimo usage and the Elks usage. Yeah. You can't really avoid, like you could, we could talk about the Edmonton football club. We kept saying the Edmonton football club, but they were who they were. And that was then. This is now. I like the fact that he addressed 
the the fact that he's now an Elks fan moving forward, coming back to Edmonton. And he understands totally why they're doing this. And he basically gave it the thumbs up. But there will be some people that will be a little disappointed in us because we use the other E word. But I don't think there was any way of avoiding that in this. And I don't think there should be any way of avoiding that. They were who they were. We've talked about this. And how much do we want to keep uttering that E word through our podcast? But as I said, he he didn't play for the Edmonton Football Club. He played for the Edmonton Eskimos. Yeah, and, and we joked about it uh, before coming back. You know, we would have filled the uh, Eskimo swear jar yes. during this episode because we were joking about fines every time we went to the, the old name. Brian Kelly played as a member of the Edmonton Eskimos. He went to the Canadian Football League Hall of Fame as a member of the Edmonton Eskimos. Like you said, though, the name has changed. It's for the better, uh, and he acknowledged that. But uh, I don't think Brian Kelly needs to talk about uh, the Edmonton Football Club to, uh, uh, you know, be that guarded. He was a member of the Eskimos. They are now the Edmonton Elks. We move forward. And one other thing on that, and this reminds me a lot of when Wayne Gretzky was traded slash sold to the Los Mm -hmm. Angeles Kings, how some Oiler fans, alleged Oiler fans, immediately said, I can't be part of that team anymore. I have to cheer for Wayne now with the Los Angeles Kings. And you can do that. You you, you can do that. It, It does make me question how serious you were loyal to the Edmonton Oilers back in the day. And I see a little bit of that here with this Eskimos and Elks thing. To me, I get why the name was changed. I support the the name change. It's not going to affect how I would support the local football club. I still think football at Commonwealth Stadium on a beautiful summer night is gorgeous. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I'm, uh, I'm just as supportive of the Elks as I was of the previous football club, the Edmonton Eskimos, where I grew up in the knothole gang. And that was my, that was, that was my, uh, my baptism into watching the Canadian football league that way. But I, I, it always bothers me by hearing some people say they will not support the Elks because of the name change. And I'm thinking, okay, well then you never really were a fan to begin with, as far as I'm concerned, because you just shouldn't flip and change like that. You should, I think you should support the local squad. And I've seen a lot of old-time guys do that where they say they're not going to support the new team because of the name change and they don't like it. Well, okay, you know what I think? You're going to miss a lot of fun football. And I feel sorry for you. So now I've said that. So I've got that out there. And by the way, training camp is underway. I'm excited about that, Robin. I'm excited the training camps are starting. Yeah, I, I'm with I'm with you, Bryn. That's your call to make as a fan sure. for whatever you reach. You don't owe anybody an explanation if that's your reason. Uh, go to it. I know the club is back on the football field again. Uh, while I'm not covering it for uh, Canadian press uh, right now, uh, I'm excited about it. Football is back. We've lost all these games and all this time. Uh, because of COVID, I like seeing the players back on the field. Hey, the colors are recognizable. Uh, the helmets are a little bit different. Let's go play some football. 
Let's get out there and watch some football. It's long overdue. Hey, speaking of training camps, what's going on in Regina? Have you seen these stories? Like how many guys, how many guys with Achilles injuries? Four? Four, four guys. What's your take on that? Bryn, um, I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on television. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, there's, I mean, uh, I'd have to read more about it. You know, some people might believe uh, it's about not being in shape and under training uh, because, well, look at the situation we've been in. There might be a train of thought that it's because of overtraining. I'm one of those guys, by the way. I think some guys are overtraining. It's a, that's a one-off. I mean, you want to have guys pull up with a bad hammy or an Achilles or a quad, whatever, um, and have a bunch of guys go down the first day. You kind of expect that with the gap we've had. But Achilles four times, man, that's a one in a billion. On the same team with probably the same kind of off-season training regimen, maybe even the same person. I don't know. I can't, you know, you can't. It's just, it seems too bizarre and too weird. And the yeah. other thing we've often heard about is the, uh, the you know, not training facilities, but they, they talk about the turf, the quality of the turf. From what I've been told in Mosaic, it's fantastic, but it's very grippy. So I don't know. Anyway, I, I feel a little uh, sorry for what's going on in Saskatchewan with those guys. But nice to see training camps back at it, that's for sure. Hey, uh, before we go, congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning on winning the Stanley Cup championship. They're uh, they're two time consecutive winners now, in two very bizarre seasons and playoffs. That anyway, but uh, and also eighteen million dollars over the salary cap. But let's not go there. Everybody else has, and also because Gene Principe is a regular on our podcast. Uh, Gino, congratulations to Italy on winning Euro twenty twenty. A little disappointed with some of the uh, some of the craziness that was going on in London on game day, not only uh, in downtown London and the capital, but also people breaking into the stadium, Robin, insane. Well, you know what? And let's, let's start by saying, as in virtually every case, we're talking about the vast minority of fans. Most people are going there to yell their faces off, have a few beers, have a good time um, and be at, a Stanley Cup final, a World Cup, Euro, uh, Super Bowl. That's usually the case with, with most normal people. But there seems to be this small segment. As, when it comes to England, I'll say, I mean, other fa- there's other things happening with other fan bases. You know what? Do you really have to break into the stadium, uh, you know, drink a shitload of beer, and then start brawling, uh in the stadium is that still your thing i thought that was over a couple of decades ago like are we bringing back the the hooligan like honestly give these guys again the sore the the sorry few who seem to think this is fun give them the billy club in the teeth throw them in the paddy wagon and get them the hell away from the people who are just there to have a good time and cheer for their club. I get so sick of these guys. Let's end it on that note. Hey, you can email us at theoutsiders at shaw.ca. We'd love to get the feedback from you. You can also check us out on Twitter. The handle's really simple, at Outsiders2020. 
Also, make sure you tell your friends and subscribe or check out our RSS feed. That way, when we drop a new podcast on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Deezer, Pocket Casts, or anybody like that, you get our fresh and new podcasts immediately. And we're also on YouTube, too. You can't see us. And I actually think that's a positive, Robin. I'd like to think that that's a bit of a positive. But uh, I'm sure coming up soon, you'll also be able to see us in the fall. So anyway, greatly appreciate your support. As I said, a lot of talk about this podcast prior to the podcast, more than anything else we've had. We also just had our best month ever. June provided the most downloads we've ever had on this podcast. And we had... Who do we have on last week? Was it Morley Scott? Yeah, we had Morley Scott. We've had two uh, two Edmonton football uh, podcasts back to back, and uh, Morley delivered huge numbers for us. So our July might actually beat our June, which is great. And we're looking to add some new features, but we're also looking for potential advertising partners. We'd love to have you come on board. Just make sure you track us down. And then finally, for everybody who just casually listens to us, make sure you tell your buddies about our podcast. And the other thing, too, if you're on social media, on Twitter, retweet it to your buds because that's what gets our message out loud and clear. Robin, that's it for today. I was going to thank you for your time, as I always do, because that's a crutch for me and you hate it. Stop thanking me for my time. I know. I want to thank everybody for their time. And thanks for (laughs) listening today. Robin, we'll talk to you next week. You sure will, pal. Storm in the castle. <laughs>